This is Some Scuffs. My name is Devel Lee, and this is our mini-series, The Blanket Fort Sessions. In this series, I'll be reading personal essays that I've collected from some friends of mine on how they managed to discover connection during the circuit breaker. Joshua is a self-professed book nerd. For one, he's got a bookstagram, which essentially means his Instagram posts are all about books. And by the way, his book recommendations are always on point. His current reading focus is on Southeast Asian literature and non-Western authors. Joshua says he's also obsessed with the art of taking notes. In this third essay of our series, Joshua's noted down observations on the unexpected ways you find connection under lockdown, and he weaved them together for this piece. Alone, but not lonely. Staying connected in the lockdown. What does connection mean to you? For me, it's moments where you're immersed in conversation with a loved one or friend. All distractions are out. Time feels distorted. How did hours feel like mere minutes? I call this the traffic light test. If your vehicle stops at a traffic light and you're in conversation with someone, Do you wish for the traffic light to continue so you can prolong the enjoyment a little bit longer? These rare moments become etched into your memory. With the lockdown, unable to visit friends, partners and family, we may be robbed of connection, yearning for what was lost. But what if we thought of these restrictions as a creative constraint. If writer Stephen King managed to horrify social media with a 42-word short story about a tick on an eyeball, constraints and restrictions can empower us to be creative. In the midst of chaos, human resourcefulness is having a field day. Robert Poynum, author of Do Pause, wrote those beautiful words as a testament to human creativity in times of struggle. For all the gloom of the pandemic, it has transformed how we connect and relate to people. We're seeing an explosion of virtual forms of connection, Yoga studios and fitness brands turn to virtual classes to engage with students and foster community. People and organizations provide offers of food, coaching, resources, and materials for free. Digital connection has also transformed community initiatives. In May, I sold pre-loved books online to raise funds for a mutual aid initiative for individuals affected by COVID-19. Funds raised go straight to people in need to help put food on the table or pay off rent for another month. Participating in this amazing, digitally-enabled initiative 
was a personal highlight. Think about it. A self-organized fundraiser facilitated online by people who may not have met in person. It's a powerful example of the amazing reach and scale of the internet to empower and transform. At home, my wife and I are bonding over classic video games like Super Mario and Kirby as a new couple activity. Video games have brought out our competitive sides and added new dimensions to our marriage. As my wife says, video games provide an environment where you can control your outcome by pure effort. Right now, you can't control anything happening in the world. It's a timely balm for a society under lockdown. Funny how a medium villainized for breeding antisocial behavior is now an accepted form of digital connection. The World Health Organization is recommending video games as an effective way to stop the spread of COVID-19. One year after adding gaming disorder to its list of addictive behaviors. But I'm mindful that these observations come with a recognition of privilege. I'm grateful to have a roof over my head and financial stability during these rocky economic times. Alone, but not lonely. You know what I miss most about being out and about? People watching. Wondering what people are thinking. Serendipitous conversations with strangers. Staring out of bus windows and watching the world go by. Hearing human voices that aren't transmitted through screens. These are reminders that your world isn't your smartphone or the walls of your house but it's inhabited by living, breathing people. Being forced to isolate has forced us to improvise and find new ways of connecting. Maybe during these times, we are alone, but not lonely. What we have temporarily lost with in-person connections, we have found extraordinary alternatives to connect with the people around us. I'm someone who segregates his spheres of life. Work connections stay at work. Personal relationships stay private and family life remains within the family. Yet, lockdown forces these spheres to intersect. I'm learning what it means to have honest, open conversations about personal struggles. For example, Sharing experiences with writer's block and low-grade anxiety on social media or opening conversations about work struggles with my colleagues have been challenging, but a liberating experience. I'm learning that leading with vulnerability and honesty can create environments for people to feel safe to open up with their own struggles, fostering a connection that is better for everyone involved. With the absence of connection, we see how strong our need for connection is.
One may wonder, when will we go back to normal? But going back to normal isn't the right question to ask. Going back to normal implies we return back to our original start point. There's no difference between the you of today and the you of four months ago. Perhaps adapting to the new normal is more appropriate. As economies and societies open up over the next few weeks, may we remember the lessons of human connection and creativity forced upon us during these times. Joshua's essay makes me hopeful that a nation united in isolation can pull together and choose to connect during a pandemic or like times of crisis people can go two ways one is to become super suspicious of each other and the other way is to actually hey uh, let's band together let's help out so i think we see both types of behavior i would like to think that the neutral aid stuff is is the manifestation of pro-social behavior the emergence of mutual aid funds and initiatives is one sure sign that Singapore as a society is maturing, becoming more ready to participate and to be a part of a greater whole. Unlike government aid or traditional charity donations, mutual aid funds allow you to give directly to the beneficiary without an intermediary. In other words, it enables you to see the direct impact of your actions on others' lives. I asked Joshua to explain. So for context, right, I'm part of a bookstagram community. So for the people who don't know this, it's basically a subsection of Instagram that focuses on uh, talking about books. So it's funny because it's extremely nerdy. Avid readers review their latest finds, discuss the themes explored in their favourite books, and often champion local and regional authors. For an activity that's usually solitary, these bookstagrammers have transformed reading into an ongoing conversation with passionate, like-minded strangers on the internet. So the concept of bookstagram is very interesting because it's being social about uh, anti-social activity. The bookstagram community also discusses topical issues like racism and privilege. And that's how the Mutual Aid Fund came about. Here were a bunch of book nerds who had books and were used to sharing them. But what if they could use those books in a different sense to help people in need? How it works is you raise money through selling your books, but the money doesn't go to you. It goes to a mutual aid initiative that uh, it's a whole ecosystem in that sense because people actually set up a Google Sheet and uh, they list down people who, who need help. So th- these people are actually people who they are really struggling where they can't pay rent for the next month, for example, or they need money for like mobile phone bills or electricity bills. So these are things that even if you go through the normal aid channels, it takes a while. 
and you know, got to do like forms and, and legislation. To see it up front and center was very sobering because it's it's really a reminder that people are struggling out here, especially in COVID. And I thought this was a nice way to at least you know do your part. And you can see the network effect of the internet at play as well. So I'll call it a combination of two forces. So one is you you open your eyes to what's happening really in Singapore. The other one is people are generous, people are willing to help. And also bearing in mind your own privilege. I mean, we are sitting here at home, you have your internet, these are things that not everyone has. So it was a very big reflective moment as well because you can see what people have, what people don't have, but yet at the same time, they can teach you something. I asked Joshua to name one important thing he learned. Never be too proud to not ask for help. During the pandemic, some of us struggle to put food on the table, to keep the lights on. But there are others who struggle to adapt and adjust. We struggle with loneliness, anxiety, with maintaining relationships, keeping kids entertained, staying productive. Let's remember that no matter how trivial the struggle may seem to you, people are generous and people are willing to help. When I was a kid, I was wandering the YA section of the library and I picked out a book called Elsewhere by Gabrielle Zevin for no other reason than the pretty snow globe on the cover. (laughs) And on the back cover of the book, I discovered a post-it note that read, This was such a tearful read. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. And when I read that note, I I just felt this deep connection with the stranger who'd left it. And there was something almost magical about the asynchrony in the act of her leaving that message. How she was reaching through time to tell me, some random girl who fate decided would pick up the very same book she did, that she was thinking of me as she finished it. Actually, that reminds me of this movie uh, by Studio Ghibli called Whisper of the Heart. It starts like that as well. And and it's, it's about a girl who finds out that this guy is always borrowing her books through the, the date stamp paper in the book. So then that, that actually led to her wanting to find out more about this guy because she keeps seeing his name in all the books that she borrows and that led to like one whole adventure. I love the idea of connecting with other people through books. We're entering into a new normal and it could be a cool adventure too if we see the new limitations like safe distancing and mask wearing as a creative constraint through which we must discover new ways to connect. Perhaps without relying so much on our digital devices. Ask a friend or a loved one to recommend a book that they think you'd like. Then turn off your mobile phone and your laptop for one afternoon and read it. I don't know about you, but when I read a book knowing that someone had me in mind when they picked it, I feel like I'm plugging into a tiny bubble within their headspace. 
and enjoying a story together across time. Thanks for listening. And thanks to Joshua for his essay. You can find him on Instagram at letmereadthis, his website joshuapo.com, or subscribe to his bi-weekly newsletter at notingthisdown.substack.com. Links in the description. If you have a personal essay you'd like to share on how the pandemic is changing the way you connect with other people, let us know. Drop me an email or give me a shout on the website. It's somescuffs.com. Theme music for this podcast was provided by Sobs, and sound design was by Lee Jarrett.